the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again uh, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN right here in Orlando, Florida. Alan Dempsey, he does the engineering each week for us, and oh my, does he do it well. Andrew Herdliska is our producer. Uh, Greg Hawkins joins me in the first half hour. He's in San Antonio, leadership team member at Oak Hills Church, author of More. That's his latest book. Max Licato did the forward. That's a big deal. Uh, Greg, great to talk to you. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Pat. I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, so Max uh, did that forward. I'm a big Max fan, Greg. And, oh, he's uh, a great guy. He's very gracious. He's very gracious. When I read the forward, I thought that was very kind of him. And he's in San Antonio, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, if only he could put some words together effectively, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if only yeah, he could do that. problem. <laughs> Yeah, he can do it. By the way, before we plunge into the book, I'm <clears throat> always fascinated with leadership issues, Greg. So what is the uh, leadership team member or director? I mean, how does that work at your church? Can you explain that? Well, Oak Hills has, a, has seven campuses in the San Antonio area and one down in Natal, Brazil. Mm-hmm. And so there's a leadership team that provides leadership for all of those campuses and sort of makes sure that they're... Uh, aligned and have what they need and the clarity of vision and strategy. And the role I play is really sort of chief strategist in ministry development to make sure we know where we're headed, how we'll get there and bring alignment to all that. You know, prior to being in at Oak Hills for the last three years, I was at Willow Creek for about 22 years up in Chicago. Sure. And I played that role for Bill Hybels for about 20 years. So um, that's... Um, that's a little bit what I do from a leadership point of view. And then the other parts of my work for the last 12 years have been involved in research of understanding um, the attitudes, beliefs, behaviors of those who attend churches. So we've done research starting about 12 years ago uh, with 2,000 churches. We've heard from half a million people um, mm. to really understand what works in a local church to help people move closer to God. And so the book I just wrote is um, the first book I've written out of that research to um, uh, congregants of churches, attenders of churches. So the other books we've written have to do with church leadership and helping church leaders understand um, what their people want and what they actually need to help them move forward spiritually. What were your years like with Bill Hybels? What did you learn from him? Oh, <laughs> 
that's probably going to be a book in and of itself one day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's extraordinary experience of uh, leadership. I mean, tr- a true leadership culture and a true collaboration. I mean, I, I don't. Some people might not be f- familiar with them. Uh, church leaders would be. Um, and would make some assumptions about, you know, a strong top-down leader and that sort of stuff, which could not be, you know, you know, that's just not true. It was a very collaborative environment, very strong team, very um, high level of clarity about vision and strategy and mission and what is it that, you know, what is it that we're trying to do here? And uh, quite a bit of ownership and accountability so that somebody, if you're going to, you know, in, in that language, you know, who has the ball, who's, who's on point. And so there was always clarity, and that, um, that was a gift, you know, to know how to pursue that. And then the other piece, I think, is to how to speak into leaders um, and be honest. You know, one of the great mantras was that you, you give somebody the last 2%, you know. When we think we're being truthful with somebody, the reality is we most of the times hold back something. And that's the part that's the... In almost all the cases is the piece they actually need to hear. So the the mantra at Willow was the last two percent, and then sometimes it became the last one percent, and you know, and that was just essentially saying, I want to know it all. I don't want you holding anything back. I want to grow. I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better follower of Christ. Please tell me the truth. And uh, I think a lot of churches in a lot of you know settings, it's the idea of being that truthful is not being you know totally kind and you know christ-like and stuff and i just think it's the opposite i mean a christ-like thing is to speak the truth but with a lot of grace and love and i mean jesus spoke the truth all the time i mean mm-hmm. he uh you know i mean that's that's why everybody said he teaches with great authority he teaches like no one else because he spoke truth and so that was you know at willow there's a strong culture of that and um you know, I've benefited greatly from that. I learned a ton. My guest is uh, Greg Hawkins. His book is called More. <clears throat> Tell me about your book, Greg. Well, the book came out of um, the research we've done did started out of the the need to understand what really helps people grow in their faith. Uh, because as a church leader, I'm in responsible for budgets and staff and making decisions of how to allocate resources. And so uh, the question came up in like around 2003, 2004, you know, what of all the things we do is most helpful to help people grow? And out of that research, we learned a tremendous amount. And again, this was over 2,000 congregations, so it wasn't just one type of ministry or style of ministry, very diverse uh, studying churches across the whole country, and not just the churches, but the people within them. And then what came out of that um, was this sense that there's a deep longing uh, in these folks for more, and that's uh, and what they were asking for more of from their churches was to help me understand the Bible in greater depth, help me develop a personal relationship with God, to challenge me to grow and take next steps, and then if you get underneath that and spend time with the folks and doing some more qualitative research, you just got a sense of this deep longing to know God more, to be closer to Him. And, you know, their best ways of verbalizing that were, you know, I want to understand the Bible, because if I understand the Bible, I understand God, and I want to be closer to God. And so that that uh, became clear to me that uh, people were longing for that, but on the same side, of the flip side of that was, 
people were increasingly giving up hope that they could find that uh, in this life, that, that, that the more they were seeking for, many of them were starting to resign to the fact that that wouldn't be available now, that it would only be available in heaven. And so they created a glass ceiling. Most people just create this glass ceiling of what to expect in this life as it relates to their relationship with God. And um, what they long for is just that ache for heaven. And so then we just wait. And what emerged from the data was a group of people, a segment of people, was about one out of every uh, eight folks or so in all the churches we studied, that are experiencing a different kind of life. They are experiencing what I refer to as a life of more, more peace, more joy, more love, more sense of purpose. And it's very different than most of the people that we studied. And so I dove into that uh, audience, and that's really captured my imagination for about the last five years. And um, the fruit of studying that group is this book, which sort of in a very personal and intimate way. It's not very data-driven or anything. It's very story-driven. It's very personal um, to understand how those people live and the choices they make to um, first believe that there's more and second to align their lives so they, they make themselves available to that. And so that was my hope. Is to, to my, my, my desire was to give those people hope who thought, like, this is all there is, to let them know, first of all, there, no, there's, there is more. You can read that in Scripture when Jesus say, you will do even greater things than this, and promises a life and a life lived to the full in abundance. And that is available now, and empirically found those people living that kind of life in the data. And so there's some patterns. I detail six different patterns we've seen in the data, and then illustrate that with stories, a lot of them out of my own life, the, you know, because you can't, you know, tell somebody something that you're not sort of, you know, actively trying to live it out. And, and um, you know, the, in, a, in a strange way, this group of people have been my motivation. It's like I wanted to be like them. I mean, it wasn't like I was one of them. I wanted to be like them. And I think the last five or so years have been a journey for me of discovering how life can be lived like that. And um, so that was my goal, to share that with other people. And I felt that was my assignment from God to say, Greg Hawkins is our guest from San Antonio. Uh, We're talking about his book, More, and we'll have more with Greg Hawkins uh, right after these messages. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. We're here every weekend and always look forward to our time with you. Uh, We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Parents and grandparents, how is your child's math grade? If it isn't what it should be, then change it. At the Mathnasium at Hunt Club in Apopka, their proven math tutoring methods can help any student. Wait, it gets better. We have a limited number of half-price math tutoring vouchers. No catch? No kidding. Call 407-618-1760 to find out more. Call 407-618-1760 now to get your half-price math tutoring voucher. Call 407-618-1760 now. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials, and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit 
download our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. If you're a business owner or manager for a facility that needs cleaning, ask yourself, is your building as clean as it could be? Are you making a good impression for your customers? Are you getting good, reliable service? If the answer isn't yes to any one of those questions, you have to call Sunflower Express Cleaning Service. Since 1995, Sunflower Express, a family-owned and operated commercial cleaning service, has been celebrating the American tradition of pride in a job well done and keeping Central Florida businesses their cleanest. Fully licensed, insured, and bonded, Sunflower Express Better Business Bureau rated A-plus, staffed by American citizens, and they work within your budget to keep your business clean and profitable. Getting started is quick, most times within 24 hours from your first call to the time Sunflower is on the job. Support companies who support America's workers. Call Sunflower Express today, 321-231-5495. That's 321-231-5495. Online at sunflowerexpresscleaning.com. Not just clean, Sunflower Express Clean. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. My guest is Greg Hawkins. He is with us from uh, San Antonio. Uh, His book is called More. Greg, there are 11 chapters in your book. Uh, The first two are called The Desire for More and A Search for More. Uh, Let's cover those two first, okay? Uh, Fill us in. Sure. I mean, that's... um what I was referring to uh, before the break, that uh, you see in this research we've done, this longing for people for more. And I, I start the book by telling my own story about where that idea came from. And, and uh, I, 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 I tell the story, and I won't recount it fully, but it was when my wife and I um, were doing our premarital counseling, uh, the pastor was going to do it, leaned across the table and asked my wife, the question, uh, who was going to walk her down the aisle? And uh, for most people, that's pretty straightforward. It's their father, but her father had passed away about eight years earlier. And uh, she leaned forward and just looked the guy in the eye and just said, no one. And he said, no, you know, certainly you have a friend or an uncle or something. She goes, no, I'm, I'm going to walk by myself. And he pushed one more time, and she said, no, I'm going to go alone. And And then he just looked at her with the most tender eyes and just said, you know, that's not how it was supposed to be. You know, that's not how it was supposed to be. And and that question, that phrase, you know, it resonated so true in that room. We both were very moved by that statement. And that stayed with me. And, and then as I reflected on that question later in life, it's just, is this, how, is, is this how life is supposed to be? You know, is when we wake up one day and go like, is this it? Is this how life was supposed to be? And in particular, our life with God. You know, we go to church and we do things and we just, you know, most of us have a time where we just go, is this it? You know, is, is this the best that it can be now? Am I doing okay? Is this how it's supposed to be? And, uh, and what's underneath that question, I think, is people's longing for more, that they have the intuition that it's really not supposed to be this way. There's just way too much, you know, conflict. There's way too much stress. There's way too much pain. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, in this life there will be troubles and difficulties. So we resign ourselves to saying, oh, okay, this, this is how life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be very painful, hard, and then someday we go to heaven. Okay, I lock that in. And um, they give up hoping for it. And then compare that then to the, or put that alongside the, the research we did where people are asking for more of God and have this deep longing. And so the first chapters detail sort of that, both in a, story for my life, but then in all this data, 
to pull out this deep longing people have. And the question is, 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 this, is this how the spiritual life is supposed to be lived? And what should I expect from my church? You know, what should I expect? Because I just don't know. I know I'm saved. I know there's heaven. For most Christians, those aren't questions. It's, it's mostly along that journey, then what's, is this good enough? Or what should I expect? So the book sets out then in those chapters to sort of frame that issue and then uh, leads to the discovery of this research and this group of people who are living a life of more and detail and start setting up how we found them and describing them and why they would be a good group to learn from and sort of um, model our behavior. So those are the first couple chapters. And then we go into... Um, well, the next one is <clears throat> the stunning breakthrough, Greg. And, and the way it's supposed to be, can you uh, talk about those two? Yeah, the breakthrough was really the understanding that, I mean, the, the, the subtitle of the book is, you know, moving from activity for God to intimacy with God. And so most people, the way they solve the problem of looking for more is they do more activity in their church. They do more, more things and believing if I do more things for God through the church or other things, then I will experience more of him. And what the research found is there's no correlation between those two things. Simply doing more activity for God does not leave, lead to closeness or intimacy with God. It just doesn't. And uh, that was shocking and stunning. You're like, well, especially as a church leader who was spending, you know, millions of folks' money and allocating it to staff and other programs to have people be involved in more things at church. So then if it wasn't more things at church, what was it all about? And what became clear is we just kind of flipped it around and said, and I just did it, the data made it very clear, is that there is a progression in the spiritual life that you can find in the data. And we could put people in one of four different groups. And from the first group is that I don't really have a relationship with God. I might believe in God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. The second group you find is, People have a, a relationship with Jesus, but it's new, and they're still figuring out what that's like to be in relationship and what to expect from that relationship and how to be in relationship. The third group would say, I'm very, very close to Christ. He's a meaningful part of my everyday life. And then, you know, we always thought that that's kind of success. We've got helped people become those kinds of followers of Christ. But then there was a fourth group, and the fourth group were very different. And they essentially said, it's not about me. Up to that point, all the three groups were really focused around how their faith helped them with their life, and it was a very me-centric faith. And I'm not criticizing that. I mean, we all have to walk that path to get to those stages where we, it is about us, and that's what moves us toward God. And we go, I need help, and so I need God. But then we get to this place where that has to give over to a whole other orientation, which we laid down our life. So Jesus said, you know, you, you lose your life to find it. And so these folks then in this fourth group, their primary, their most important significant relationship in their entire life is their relationship with Christ. And, they've, and they are working to lay down their life every day to have God do his work in them and through them versus having them uh, use God, if you will. And that's kind of, it's harsh, but that's kind of what we do. And, um, and so that change it's a very important change. And then if you study how people make that change and then how they live in that space, 
of living with God. And, and what I define it is up to that point, we're really living in the kingdom of me. It's really about bringing God into my life, into my kingdom. He helps me. Minimally, I have fire insurance, but hopefully it helps add more value. And then we realize that that's not the right way to live. And we have to abandon that and decide to pursue him and his kingdom. And so, and within that group, we found the segment I mentioned before, who are really living this life of more. It's about 12% of all people we studied in these churches. And then that's the, the, the patterns and the things we found in those folks really then set up the second half of the book. And uh, let's get into the second half. My guest is uh, Greg Hawkins, author of More. Uh, you lead off the second half with this uh, discussion, <clears throat> From Inside to Outside, What's that mean, Greg? Yeah, what that means is essentially we have to decide where we want to live every day. And what I mean by that is what I was referring to before. Do we want to live uh, inside sort of our own uh, kingdoms, or do we need to move, we want to live outside? We want to live outside the box. And I set up this imagery that we essentially live in a box, you know, and we try to protect and provide ourselves because when we took the job of being king or queen of our own kingdom, instead of letting God do that, uh, we had to protect and provide for ourselves, and we bring God into that space. And so the first pattern you see, or the first decision we really need to make, is every day deciding where do you want to live. Do you want to live inside or outside? And then throughout each day, you realize there's a part of me that's afraid. There's a part of me that gets anxious. And that's an indication that we have taken on the responsibility to make all things right. And that's we've retreated back into our own box. And in order to get out of that space, what I say is the very simple discipline is we just need to say, I'm sorry. You know, most people talk about confession, and we get all guilt-ridden and shame-ridden from sin, and, and sometimes that's appropriate. But it's the idea of what we're saying when we feel that anxiety is, I don't believe you, God, are first of all able to help me, or second, mostly, I don't think you care enough to help me. And when the of this relation with God is all relational, um, then you're, uh, to make things right, you just have to say, I'm sorry. God, I, I, try to, I try to do this on my own, and I can't, so I'm sorry. And he goes, that's okay. And then we find ourselves back outside of the box and back outside living with him. So that's kind of the first shift we make from inside to outside. And it really is a daily discipline. And then the second one is from me to we. And this is a very important shift because most of us think through our day, it's like, I've got to do this, I've got to go do this, I've got to go do this, I've got to, you know, we have a very me-centric orientation for our life. And what I'm suggesting is we make this shift to understand that God is with us. He is not just out there somewhere coming to our rescue. He's in us. He's in us. He's around us. He, his spirit lives within us. And so the idea is he wants to do, he doesn't just want to do life with us like he's a companion along our day. He actually wants to be on point in our life. He wants to be the one leading out and saying, okay, my will be done. And I want, to, I want to do this day with you. But I think the flip is I want you to do this day with me. And so instead of saying, I've got to do this, it's like we are going to do this, we, God and I. And maybe not making that an audible thing. I've done that a few times and kind of freaks people out. But I do it not conscious because I'm trying to have that discipline of going, you know, God help me with my day. It's like, no, it's our day. So I move from me-centric to we. It's about we. And the really way to make that shift is sort of the practice, I say, of just, you can call it contemplative prayer. That's a big fancy word. But it's this phrase, be still and know. And when we quiet ourselves, 
and slow down and just become aware of God's presence around us. I mean, he's there. It's not like we have to ask him to come. He's already there. It's us opening our hearts to say, come in, come in, and, and let's do life together. So those are the first two things we found, patterns in the data, and, and I'm trying to, you know, make that make sense to people, but those are the first two big shifts. How about from head to heart? Yeah, the head-to-heart thing is, so now I've decided I don't want to live in my own box. I want to live outside. I want to do life with God, okay? But living life outside is we're bombarded by all the messages that it's all about us and all these other things. And what we have to do is remember that. Uh, we, we have to have and remember God's words. And what we found in the research, and this is research that was analyzed by the leading um, independent market research firm in the world, Secular People. And their conclusion was the most catalytic thing people can do to move toward intimacy with God is to engage with the Bible. It was profound. I mean, we all believe that. The scripture is pretty clear. But when secular people are telling you, if you want to tell people anything, tell them to engage with God's Bible. I mean, with the Bible. Uh, read it, study it, memorize it, all, all, of, all of the above. Okay? And so this third thing really is that the Bible, we shift from understanding it's for our head to be smarter, but it's for our heart and it's for our soul. It's like food. We, we need this because it's, it's a love letter. I mean, if you're growing intimacy with somebody, you need to spend time with that person. And that's God's words, of spending time in conversation with God by having him reveal himself through his word and having us respond back to his word. And so the idea is to have a reframing of how we think about the Bible and the Bible's not just for the head, it's for the heart. And then the phrase I have there is, you need to eat something good every day. Every day. And it's not legalistic. It's just saying you, you will starve without it. Your soul will starve without it. And then the fourth shift is we want to go from close to open, and it's this idea that we need others in our life. It's not just about us. And instead of being closed off to others, we have to open ourselves up. We were designed not just to have this connection with God and this intimacy with Him, but with others. And so we have to open ourselves up. And what we find is a pattern in this is folks who live this life of more have built this massive network of relationships of whether that's formal small groups or spiritual mentors, spiritual friends, but they have a whole web of people that they uh, interact with, share their life with, receive and give. It's a two-way thing. And so to really understand that, uh, a life of more is lived in community. And not just like, hey, let's get in a group. It's really looking at our whole life, and it really comes down to, and I'm really, am I opening myself to other people, uh, or am I protecting myself and I've closed down and I don't have much um, uh, desire uh, to be open to others? So that's the, that's the fourth shift. Greg, we've got about 30 seconds here okay. to talk about from full to empty, from next to now. Yeah, uh, real get, quick, the give us a quick empties essentially is this idea, okay, now I've been full with God, I'm, I've got his word, I'm with others. The key is, then what's my job? If my job's not to provide for and protect my own kingdom, then the job really is to love. And what love means is to serve another person. And to serve means to die to what you want in order to give them what they really need, which is God's love funneled through you. And so it's this challenge to reframe what love looks like. It's really about serving. It really means about laying down your agenda and then the last piece is from next to now is that we don't always think about what's next. What we have to do, we have to stay present to what's happening right now, be attentive to who God is putting in our life, and asking God, how do you want me to love, which means to serve the person 
the people around me, and it starts close in with our family members and the people he puts around our life. Greg Hawkins has been our guest, author of more. Uh, We've got more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call Select Quote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm Select Quote agent Dan Savino, and believe me, If SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-240-1700. That's 1-800-240-1700. 1-800-240-1700. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. We dodged a bullet with Matthew, but it may have played havoc on your roof. Now is the time to get your roof fixed, and here is the deal. Half-price roof vouchers. No catch, no kidding. We have a limited number of half-price roof vouchers if your roof has a replacement value of over $10,000. Call 407-618-1760 to find out more. Call 407-618-1760 now to buy your half-price roof voucher if your roof has a replacement value of over $10,000. Half-price roof vouchers. No catch. No kidding. Call 407-618-1760 now. Hello, I'm Pastor Glenn Riggs, inviting you to be our guest in celebrating all that the Lord has done and experience our pioneer spirit. We're excited to share Starlight Baptist's new building with you. It's been several years in the making. We now can share God's Word with so many more souls in Central Florida through our many ministries here at Starlight. Please visit us at starlightbaptist.com. And don't miss the broadcast ministry of Starlight Baptist. What does the Bible say? Every weekday afternoon at 4 with Pastor Riggs, right here at the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Greg Hawkins, our guest in the first half hour uh, from his church in San Antonio, talking about his book, More We Stay in Texas and Move Over to Dallas. Dr. Tony Evans is with us, senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, founder and president of the Urban Alternative. Uh, His new book has just come out, Kingdom Marriage. Uh, Tony's done about 100 books and pamphlets and teaching guides and a a good longtime friend. Tony, I'm so glad we can hook up here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Yeah, yeah, about a little bug here in Texas, but I'm hanging in there. (laughs) Tony, how is your church going? Oh, the church is doing well. Um, uh, Things are solid. We have about... uh, 10 or 11,000 members, uh, a lot of community impact, over 100 ministries, and it's going going strong. Isn't that amazing? And and, and your radio uh, ministry seems to be doing very well, is that right? Yeah, we have about 1,000 stations uh, in the country and in about 200 countries around the world. Could you have ever seen this coming, Tony, oh, say 30 years ago? <laughs> well, God has certainly been good, and, you know, we've tried to work hard, but... Uh, 
God has been better to us than we've been to ourselves, so we're very grateful. What's your new book about, Tony? Well, of course, marriage has fallen on hard times, and it has been redefined. And, uh, and so what we tried to do was show the purpose of marriage and not just the expected pleasure of marriage. People get married because they're in love, they're excited, they're, uh, you know, they want to be, uh, have that relationship and all that's wonderful. But God has a theological purpose for marriage, and if you miss the theological, when the personal pleasure diminishes, then uh, you, you, people don't want to fight for their marriage because they didn't start with where God started. And God gave three reasons for marriage. The first reason he gave was to be a reflection of his image. I will create them in my image to mirror God. Mm-hmm. The second reason he gave was for replication, be fruitful and multiply, that's childbearing, to raise children in the image of God. And the third reason, he says, is that they might rule. So ruling was the third reason. So the reason for marriage, which is the foundation of family, was to be the foundation ruling institution for the well-being of civilization. So when marriage and the family go kaput, civilization is in trouble, because whoever owns marriage and the family owns the future. And so we tried to set it in a theological without losing the, the practical, purposeful pleasure of the relationship, because when the two are attached, then marriage is fulfilling its divinely ordained reason for existence. Tony, I want you to talk about the five O's uh, with the foundation of a kingdom marriage. Origin, order, opposition, oaths, and oneness. Uh, what's that all about? Well, what we've tried to establish is, is just using simple terms to express each one of these uh, areas. Um, uh, when, when there was, uh, when God created uh, marriage, he created an order. They didn't, they didn't start as a married couple. They started as two singles. Uh, God created Adam, and then he created Eve. He gave instruction to Adam, because Adam was to be the one responsible. That's why when everything fell apart, God didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are y'all? He said, Adam, where are you? Because you were held responsible. Well, far too many men have given up the responsibility for the home. We have delegated it too much. We have walked away from it. We have abandoned it. And as goes the father, uh, to a large extent, goes the, 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 the family, the marriage, and the relationship. So, so, so there, there is an order to this. There was an oath that, that they had to commit themselves to, that oath of, uh, of the two becoming one. Now, what, what people have to understand is that this oath, is, is not an oath of sameness. You know, when couples get married, they, they often have unity candles, and they, 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 they do the candle in the middle, and then they blow out their own individual candles, when that's not quite right. The idea is for uh, them to keep their uniqueness, but bringing it to a common purpose. So the oneness is a oneness of purpose, not the sameness of being. And so it is in understanding that concept that we're able to, to have our uniqueness stay intact, while at the same time having our uh, having our unity established, uh, of course there was great opposition when Satan showed up in the garden, because when Satan showed up in the garden, which he didn't he didn't show up or make himself uh, visible until Adam got married, because he wasn't just after a single man; he was after an institution, and he comes in and he does a couple of things in the garden. He opposes the marriage by flipping the roles. He goes to Eve, skips Adam, Adam becomes the leader, uh, Eve becomes the leader, Adam becomes the passive responder, the world, the roles get reversed, all hell breaks loose. 
said. He leaves out a word. All through chapter 2, it was half, uh, God calls himself the Lord God. God is Elohim, that's God's power name. Uh, Yahweh is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and that's his relational name. So what he does is tell Eve, let's talk about God, but let's leave out the relationship. So Satan doesn't mind religion as long as relationship isn't attached to it, because then he knows he can keep religion and still destroy families. And so as a result of that opposition, uh, the families uh, were in were in trouble. So uh, when you when you put all of that together, uh, another aspect of this that I'll conclude with, uh, related to oaths and related to uh, this whole program, is the idea of covenant. Covenant is God's uh, uh, a covenant is a, di- a divinely bonding relationship. Uh, it's a bond that God is involved with that holds things together. So when people walk away from the covenant of marriage and still have the contract of marriage, they're not experiencing the creator of marriage as he intended the relationship to be experienced. Dr. Tony Evans is with us, <clears throat> senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Uh, his new book has just come out. It's called Kingdom Marriage. Uh, Tony, in part two, uh, you go into the function of a kingdom marriage. Uh, you've got eight R's. The first of those is roles, uh, R-O-L-E-S, those kind of roles. Uh, what What's up here? Well, uh, you know, Paul ends his discussion in Chapter 5 of Ephesians, summarizing the roles of marriage. He says, uh, husbands, you ought to love your wives, and wives, see to it that you respect your husband. Uh, 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 those two words can summarize the roles. Love is to compassionately and righteously pursue the well-being of another. So when a, when a husband loves, his wife is to always feel and know her well-being is at his highest concern, even if he's disagreeing with her. So as long as she feels her well-being is at his highest concern, whether or not he's agreeing with a particular point or not, and he's doing it in concert with the guidelines, righteousness, the guidelines of God's governing word, then he is fulfilling his his overriding role in the relationship. The wife, on the other hand, there is no command in the Bible for a woman to love her husband. You know, Titus 2 talks about a woman, mm-hmm. older women teaching a younger woman how to love, but that's not a command. Mm-hmm. But he does have a command for the woman, and that is the main command to respect or reverence. First Peter 3, 6 says, like Sarah who called her husband Lord. In other words, the husband is to always know and feel his headship. Uh, and again, that does not mean you do not voice your opinion. It does not mean that you do not collaborate. You do your gift skills as a wife to further him and to further the home. But it should be clear he gets the highest honor, not the guy you work for, not the neighbors. He gets the highest honor. And when he's stroking the woman's heart and the wife and the woman is stroking his head, his ego, which she is, which which is what respect does, then uh, he's being fulfilled, she's being fulfilled, and happiness can be pursued. And then, Tony, we get to uh, resolutions. That's the next uh, topic, or the next R. What's that mean? Well, there has to be a resolve in the relationship that, uh, <laughs> that, we, we, that we're in this that we're in this for good. We, 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 we're going to uh, not allow the, the trials and the tribulations of our marriage to interfere with the covenantal commitment that we made. Now, God does... Have, have a couple of exceptions that that he allows for, but those are to be the, the rare exceptions. We have today 
people getting divorced for irreconcilable differences. The Bible would know nothing of that. That's just an easy way out. No fault divorce. There's no such thing. If you get divorced, it is somebody's fault. So uh, well, there's got to be a resolve in the relationship that we're going to fight through this in whatever ways we have to in order to uh, 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 have the kind of marriage that God intended us to have. And then we get to uh, requests. Uh, fill us in. Yes. Well, uh, most many couples do not know the power of praying together. One of the reasons that Satan creates disunity is by either not getting us to pray together or getting us to pray uh, when we are divided. First Peter 3, 7 says, when a husband and wife are divided, tell the husband, don't pray. God's not listening. Why? Because God can only function in unity, not disunity. So that's why Satan keeps us fighting, because he doesn't want our prayers to go past the ceiling. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 says that a husband and wife should restrain from uh, physical intimacy in order to come together for prayer and fasting. So if there's a crisis in the home with the kids, in the relationship, take the time that you would have spent being intimate and make your request known unto God, because when you sacrifice the physical for the spiritual, you get greater attention from heaven to deal with your issues in history. Now we get to restoration, Tony. Restoration is uh, is the design to, re- to restore a relationship with, which has gotten broken. You know, uh, uh, many marriages, uh, because of what's happened in the past, because of a uh, of unforgiveness. Uh, uh, unforgiveness is a horrible thing. Uh, there are two kinds of forgiveness. One is individual forgiveness, and this is whether or not the, the person who needs to be forgiven repents, because you need to be whole, even if they're not sorry. But, rec- but forgiveness doesn't equal reconciliation. Uh, forgiveness opens up the door for reconciliation. Reconciliation is a process that involves the second kind of forgiveness, and that's transactional forgiveness. Transactional forgiveness is when you, uh, uh, the person does seek to be repentant, and that's not just, I'm sorry, they, keep, they, they, they show fruits of repentance because they want to restore the relationship. That has to happen over time, but they have at least demonstrated by showing the fruit that they want the restoration. And so, um, that, uh, so the goal of that is to uh, not allow unforgiveness to keep uh, progress from taking place in the relationship. Dr. Tony Evans is our guest from Dallas. We're uh, talking about his new book, Kingdom Marriage. Uh, Tony, the fifth R is called Resources. Uh, fill us in you on know, that. Uh, couples fight over money. <laughs> and uh, money is a big area of conflict. God has a, a very simple plan for how we are to approach our finances. <laughs> uh, it is it is give, save, spend. <laughs> Honor God first and foremost with your finances through your giving. Then honor yourself because of the effort you put in to earn through your savings. You're not to spend all that you have. And then spend. And if you spend having given, having uh, saved, and then you spend, and therefore you're living within your means, uh, then you have given a basis for God to bless your economic stability and have more unity in the relationship. And, Tony, now we get to the next uh, R. It's the sixth R. It's called romance. This is going to be a good one, right? Uh, yeah, this is always a good one. First of all, in the Bible, you didn't date to marry. That is a, a Western American concept. I know it's a big, normal concept, but it's not the concept of Scripture. In the Bible, you, you married to date. Oftentimes, you know, folks married their folks they hardly knew. Uh, 
um, Isaac married Rebecca the first day he saw her. Uh, okay, so there was no dating and romancing there. The idea is that the, the intimacy of the relationship, the fire in the relationship, is to be continually cultivated, not reduced because we're now official. The same fire that was taking place when we were dating is to be the fire. Now, obviously, it has to be adjusted with children and, and, and other factors, but it's not to be forgotten. And so the romance, the intimacy, the concern about the person, you know, I tell husbands, Here, here's what I want you to do. Every day, meaning regularly, do something that expresses value to your mate. Uh, a, a note, a card, a non-sexual hug, a, a, uh, a compliment. Just do something that says uh, you, you matter. And that's part of romance. Sometimes we limit romance to sex when romance is, is the fire of the mind that, that results in physical intimacy. And so, uh, and then dating, having fun together. You know, so many problems in the world, so many problems in a relationship uh, with children and all of that. You need to get away and have some fun. Tony Evans is our guest. Uh, we've got another segment with him. We've got two more R's to cover, Rebuilding and Return. Uh, I'm Pat Williams, your host here on the Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, Addison's Walk, Saturday afternoons at 4. Welcome to Addison's Walk. This is Michael Phillips. I am the headmaster of Smith Prep, and I am the host of Addison's Walk. We are right now in the process of introducing the subject of what is the church. few questions that are as important as this one. It's going to be a lively discussion. I'm excited about it. All new Saturday afternoons at 4, Addison's Walk, only on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Addison's Walk is a ministry of the Smith Prep Education Foundation. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94. Point nine FM and AM 950 WTLN. Attention, this is a public notice from Citizens Disability. If you're one of the millions of Americans who are disabled and unable to work, you may be eligible for disability benefits from Social Security. Receiving benefits is your right if you suffer from physical and mental disability. Whether you're applying for the first time or you've already been denied, Citizens Disability can help. You'll be given an advocate who will evaluate your situation, handle your application, and deal with Social Security. Best of all, there's no fee until you receive your benefits. We only get paid if you win your case. There are a number of conditions that can make you eligible for disability benefits, many of them you may not be aware of. So if you're disabled and unable to work, call Citizens Disability today to get started with your free, no-obligation consultation. 800-989-1396. 800-989-1396. That's 800-989-1396. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950. 
WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Dr. Tony Evans is with us. We're talking about his new book, Kingdom Marriage. But, Tony, before we do those other two R's, uh, you've got to tell me about your superstar daughter. I am so impressed. And I saw that movie. My goodness. She She's a movie star as well, right? Oh, my, my. Yeah. That was the first time doing that, and uh, she was quite good at it, if I can say so myself. Yeah, she uh, she looked like she'd been doing the uh, films forever. It was wonderful, wonderful. And yeah, we were proud of her. Uh, and her teaching continues, and her writing continues, and... Yeah, it's exploded. I mean, she's, uh, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of women are being blessed by her ministry. Tony, when did you realize that he she uh, had some special gifts? When When did you see it? Oh, as a child. Oh, uh, she was always the entertainer. She would walk around with a brush in her hand, speaking and singing and using the brush of the mic. I mean, this was as a child. So that was all that was immediately uh, there. And then how did she develop it? Well, uh, you know, uh, she went to college and she majored in communications. While there, she worked at a radio station. So she got some experience of being on mm-hmm. air. Then she began briefly working for a TV station. Then she went to Dallas Seminary, got her master's, started writing, and it just mm. bloomed from there, blossomed from there. How are her children doing? She's got a house full, doesn't she? Well, she's got three boys, and all of them are doing good. Most of us, most of their time now is engaged in sports. <laughs> That's great. Well, Tony, we've got another R here. It's the seventh R in the function of a kingdom marriage. It's called rebuilding. What does that mean? Well, the Bible, the, the, the building word in the New Testament is edification. And edification uh, is often done with the, the, the tongue. Uh, the Bible talks about us encouraging one another with our words, using words to build up and don't tear down, uh, seizing your words with salt. So all of that is how we speak to what, with one another and what we say to one another. And so simply asking the question, will saying this like this help or hurt the situation, bring progress or regress? the situation. And just that question and answering that question will help to rebuild things that have been broken down because so much of our speech is horrific and tears each other down. And how many problems could be avoided if uh, if that last word didn't have to be spoken and uh, destroys a, a whole week of things going well and one false word can ruin it? (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Tony, now uh, our, uh, number 8R, it's called uh, Return. Uh, uh, fill us in on that. Well, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, the people uh, of God have left their first love. The key word is first. Uh, the things have not been prioritized right, and they needed to get back on track. It gives them three, three things to do. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember how things were when we first got together. Go back in time in your mind to how things were when we didn't have all this mess, all these problems, all this burden, and just just, just kind of uh, uh, fantasize a little bit. Then he says, repent. There's only one thing you repent of in the Bible, and that's sin. So identify the sin that you have and address the sin. Where, not, not where your partner has failed, where you have failed. And acknowledge that sin and repent of that sin. And then he says, repeat. Do the first thing over again that you just remembered, when you remembered when you've fallen. So if you will go back to how things were 
repent of where you departed, both parties doing that, and then repeat what you did when things were on track, God says that, you know, I will will keep your light shining. Tony, the conclusion of your book, and it's a marvelous read, folks, it's called Kingdom Marriage. Uh, The conclusion is called Turning Water into Wine. Uh, what what is that about? What's that mean? Well, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. So Jesus' first miracle, the miracle involved marriage, and uh, they had run out of wine. Uh, and uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him and says to him, "They've run out of wine." Jesus says, "Well, it's not time for me to go public yet, but I will solve the problem. <laughs> Bring me barrels full of water." They brought in barrels full of water, and as the servants were bringing it, it turned into wine. Not only good wine, but the best wine that you usually wouldn't say to laugh. So how does this relate to marriage? When things have run dry in the relationship, give God something to work with. He said, bring water. Don't bring me empty barrels. Bring me barrels full of water. Give me the raw material for me to do my miracle with. Mary's mother said it all when she said, whatever he says to you, do it. Even though right now it doesn't make sense what he just asked you to do. Your best days coming off your empty relationship can be ahead of you if you will do what he says, give him the raw material from which for him to work his miracle in the relationship, and then we'll see how God can turn water into wine, and wine in the Bible always speaks of joy. Tony, you write a good bit in your book about the word focus, uh, that a healthy, vibrant marriage is all about focus. Uh, can, can you expand on that? Yes, you know what what you what you look at is what you see. What do you want to see? Most most people are looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at where they are. They're not staring at where they need to be. And if you stare at what you need to be and begin moving toward that as opposed to where you are, which keeps you stuck in the current mud, then you're able to be looking at the right thing that your feet can be moving you toward, rather than the wrong thing that's holding you stagnant where you are. Focus, focus, focus. All the great athletes have it. All the great performers have it. Uh, The ability to block out distractions and stay zeroed in on what's important. So, Tony, what should a... Biblical marriage look like from God's perspective? What pleases him? Well, biblical marriage, or what we call kingdom marriage, is where a man and a woman come underneath the rule of God in their relationship, expressing their uniqueness toward a common purpose. And when they come under the rule of God, expressing the uniqueness of him, the uniqueness of her, and they're doing it toward a common goal. They have set themselves up for the king to be involved in their relationship and thus possessing a kingdom there. Tony, what's your advice to couples perhaps listening this weekend who are going through some struggles? What's a good word for them? Well, I would say to recommit yourself to learning God's purpose for marriage, not just what you want from marriage. Because if you start with the purpose and not with the pleasure, then the pleasure will come out of the purpose, and the purpose won't get lost because you are no longer enjoying the pleasure. 
And that's why we wrote the book this way. Tony, you are known, and I've known you a long time, heard you, read every book you've written, uh, very, very big on illustrations and stories, anecdotes, teaching points. Uh, where did all that develop for you in your career? That's an interesting question. I've been asked it a number of times. I think somewhere along the line, I um, I learned to think illustratively. Everything becomes an illustration for me. So, so I can walk down the street and I'll see five illustrations just pop right out of the ground. I mean, so <laughs> when I begin to think illustratively, and I don't, I can't identify why I begin to think that way. You know, sometimes I go in a room and uh, you know, a particular preacher. And, and I just say, pick something in the room, and I'll turn it into an illustration immediately. So maybe it's just a gift God has given me, but I think illustratively, so everything now is an illustration. And, uh, and Tony, I have caught your, uh, oh, it's not a disease, but I've, I've caught it. I, 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 we went to the Garth Brooks concert on uh, Saturday night here, 20,000 screaming Garth Brooks fans, and I came out of there and I thought, uh, what are the three life lessons <laughs> that we learned from Garth? We we learned from Garth Brooks tonight, and uh, it won't be a book, but it it might be an illustration in a book. <laughs> so, right, right. You've uh, you've infected all of us in that regard, Tony. Okay. the The book is called Kingdom Marriage. Uh, the author, Dr. Tony Evans, so glad he could join us. We've got a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 